here we go. Um, there are a lot of expectations on pastors. There's a lot of expectations from God on the pastors. Okay? And these are very serious expectations. And I take those expectations personally, and I know Pastor Todd does and Pastor Justin does, extremely serious. I'm not fearful of standing before you one day. I am fearful of standing before an almighty God one day, not only giving an account of how I was a husband, a, a father, a follower of Jesus, but specifically the account that I will give for every one of our members here at Mission. And that is very serious. God has placed great expectations on pastors the qualifications, the expectations, the, the job description of pastors is based on Scripture and not on people who attend church is. Many times those within a congregation can look at the expectations of these sound biblical truths and then they begin to, to stretch them to meet their own expectations of those pastors, placing expectations on a pastor that he can never or they can never achieve. It cannot be accomplished. When we do that, we ultimately um, replace Jesus with a functional Savior called your pastor or pastors. And I love our pastors, but I can guarantee you none of them are Jesus. They're not even Jesus. They're not. They're not Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, but, but Pastor Eric, um, one of the biggest issues within specifically the American church is there are lots of pastors who have abused their power. They have abused their position. They have abused money. It seems like every week, I don't know how much you keep up with this, but pastors keep up with this. It's like every week a new celebrity pastor is removed from his position because um, of sexual immorality, because of bullious mentality, um, or even the misappropriation of funds. And it gets really bad when it's all of those things. A big celebrity pastor just happened in the last few months. I mean, the internet, the Twitterverse, the social media accounts, um, this man is making millions of dollars every year. Known for bullish mentality, known for the misappropriation of funds, and recently somebody, finally, the elders and church members had had enough. And he was removed from the very church that he started. Okay? This is the common phrase throughout these sorts of things. And sadly, we should grieve over those things. Because it not only hurts the witness of those churches, but it, it hurts our witness. And it hurts Christianity as a global body, as the global body of Christ. When these things happen, it causes problems for all of us. Let us not forget how many times over and over again Paul is going to address false teachers, false elders. The Bible takes this extremely seriously. Even the chapter 1, right? Why is Paul having to send Timothy to Ephesus? Because the elders have gone bad. The pastors have gone bad. 
and even names them. All right? Alexander and Hymenaeus. What does he say about them? That these pastors, these teachers, these elders, that they have shipwrecked their faith and they're helping to lead others to shipwreck their faith. He calls them, he, he, Paul says of these elders that have gone unfaithful that he's turned them over to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme. All right, so today is not about not coming against pastors. My goodness, most of the New Testament and most of Paul's writing there is speaking against the unfaithful elder. And yet today is about the unfaithful church member and what to do with both faithful pastors and unfaithful pastors. He tells us in this purpose of writing in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And specifically, we've, we've learned about how we're to care for, for widows, right, in chapter 5. And we learned how to care for faithful women. And Pastor Justin did a great job encouraging and showing us what does a faithful woman of God look like last Sunday. But then specifically, in this passage of Scripture from 17 to 25, Paul is going to address how do you care for your pastors, Again, church members, because I hear it all the time and I've heard, I've heard it for a really long time, you have high expectations of how pastors are supposed to treat you, how they're to care for you. Well, he just didn't care for me. They just didn't care for me enough. They didn't feed me enough. There's tons of expectations that people have on their pastors and yet often do not take the moment and the opportunity to, to simultaneously look at the passages of how you, how members, how we are to care for our faithful pastors. And just like there are unfaithful men, there are faithful men, just like there are unfaithful women and widows, there are faithful women and widows, and just like there are unfaithful pastors, there are also faithful pastors, and the way that we're to treat faithful pastors is laid out here inside of this passage. So today, I'm going to give you three ways the church cares for pastors. So can't you see that this is very self-serving? says this in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered Worthy of double honor. Again, not the elders who are unfaithful elders, but the good ruling elders. What do we mean by rule? Those who lead, those who manage, those who take care of. The, the, let the, rulers, the, the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor. Elders, uh, if you can go back in, t in time, you can go up to our webpage. You can look at a, a sermon I preached a, a few months ago on the qualifications of elders. I can't go into that, but anytime you see the word elder, it is a synonym for the word pastor or overseer. All those words are interchangeable inside of the New Testament. So when he says, let the pastors who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. They rule well. They're faithful in their leadership. 
They're faithful in, in their guidance. They're faithful in their management. These are faithful, qualified men of God. And so what does it mean to rule well? Well, Pastor Eric, that means that a, a pastor who rules well, there will be numerical growth in the congregation. That's exactly what that means. Except it doesn't. We love to bring worldly economics into the church and determine success off of those things. And yet that's not what the Bible does. The Bible is going to declare and, and, and see and judge and rule on the faithfulness. It's not how many can the pastors get to come, but rather how faithful were the pastors with those whom God had brought. See, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting across from people wondering why I haven't gotten more of people to fill up these chairs, or why we haven't gotten more people to fill up these chairs. My question is, is, why have you not gotten more people to fill up these chairs? If we're really concerned about people who aren't here, then we should be more concerned about them Monday through Saturday than we currently are. And yet, again, that expectation is often put on the pastors that, man, this guy is successful. This man is faithful. Look at how many people come to his church. And I'll, be, I'll just go ahead and tell you, there's a church down in, in Texas. It's real big. And they got lots of Bibles. They hold up in the air, right? And he got really nice teeth. And he draws a really big crowd. And that man is unfaithful. He is unfaithful. So the devil can draw a crowd. You ever been to a KISS concert? I'm sure it's packed out. I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun too. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. The enemy is constantly drawing a crowd. Faithfulness is not about numerical growth. Faithfulness is about being faithful to the Lord being faithful to the qualifications, and because of these elders who rule well, they are considered worthy of double honor. So the first thing that, that needs to happen is this idea of double honor has the connotation of, of being generous. And so how is the church to care for its faithful pastors? They're to provide generous respect. Generous respect. They're to honor them. Respect them. You got to trust that your pastors, if they're being faithful, are making the best decisions or presenting the best decisions for the church. You need to learn to think the best of them and their motives. How many of you guys have ever said this? Well, I, well, I, I don't respect the man, but I respect his position. We typically do this for every president we have, right? Well, uh, well, I don't, I don't respect the, the man. He's got problems, and, and I don't respect his policy necessarily, but if he was to walk in here today, I would say, hello, uh, Mr. President, right? You respect the position. That's, that can be fine out in the world, but that's not the way that it should be happening inside the church. That if a qualified man is standing before you as one of your pastors, as one of your elders, then you not should be merely respecting his position, though you should, but you should simultaneously be able to respect him and consider his way of life. Within the church, it should be a both and. 
not an either or. You should be able to respect, again, the position and the character of the man. If you can't, can I encourage you to do something? Find a church where you can. That's where you should be going. You should be able to do both of those things. Because to not respect the man is to tell that man he is disqualified. He does not meet the qualifications of, of pastoring. And so when we, when we look at this, what are some, just some practical ways in which that you can respect? And I, I just tried to think through a big, long laundry list, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but, but here you go. If the pastor asks you to do something, if the pastors ask you to do something that's not contrary to Scripture, you know what you should do? You should do it. Even simply as being on time, doing the, the missional community workbook, uh, participating in Bible study, staying awake, uh, not looking at your cell phones when they're up here talking, uh, respecting his wife, respecting his kids, being considerate of their time. Don't put expectations on them that can only be met by Jesus. How do you respect them? You, you pray for them. You show them common courtesy. How would you want to be treated if you were in this position. Believe again that they're making decisions through prayerful consideration with information that you may or may not be aware of. And yet they have to make a decision. Speak well of them. Do you speak well of your pastors? Do you genuinely love them? Do you, again, do you think the best of them? Do you know that they love you? I am so jealous of many of you because you got to choose what to do with your life. And I did not. If you get tired of you doing your job, you know what you can do? And you can go find a new job. And I cannot. All right? I tell young pastors all the time, Pastor Justin can tell you when it was just Crosquito is what I called him when we first met. His little pet name I had for Justin <laughs> was this. If you can do anything else, do it. If you can do anything else, brother, you can love Jesus, make a lot of money, and be a great church member. If you can do anything else, go and do it. Why? Because even in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, obey your leaders. This is speaking to the membership. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. See, so many people look at that passage and you read it and you go, I can't believe the Bible's telling me I need to obey my leaders and submit to them. See, I read that passage and I go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm going to give account for these people who will not obey and submit to my leadership. Perspective. All right? It says obey them. Submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls. It, it continues. Let them do so with joy. Can I give you some of the joys of the elder chair? Some of the joys of the elder chair is, man, is, is, is discipling you. It's, it's preaching the word. It's, it's leading Bible studies. It's teaching. It's, it's getting that call saying, Pastor Eric, 
we messed up again. Another kid is on its way, right? It's, it's seeing you uh, ladies walk down the aisle, right? It's, there's even a joy. There's a joy in holding your hand at the loss of a loved one in your life. There's joy in, in walking alongside of you of having what we call the ministry of presence, of simply being in the room as, as you're grieving a situation or a sin in your life. There can be a lot of joy in the pastoring. This is not a woe is me sermon this morning. This is not some kind of comparison trying to say that I've got a harder job or we have harder jobs than, than any of you in this room. It is, it is simply the, that there is a great joy I love being a pastor. And the Bible says, let them do this with joy. Those are some of the joys. But it continues, and it says, and not with, with groaning. Can I let you into the inner circle? I'm going to, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the green curtain. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Like, I'm going to pull back the curtain. I talk to a lot of pastors. I'm in a lot of meetings with pastors. And I get to hear a lot about the joys of pastoring. But you know what I also get to hear a lot about? The groanings of being a pastor where church members make it really tough. And can I, I'll give you some examples of, of those sorts of things. It's, it's when church members... Don't show common courtesy when they don't respect, when, when they make really big deals out of things that shouldn't be big deals, when they take non-biblical, because again, even if me and you are having a heated discussion, but we both got our Bibles out, open, I want you to know I'm joy-filled. But when the Bible is closed and it's shoved over here, and we're talking a lot about your personal, your personal preference, strangle your pastors. If we have to make decisions based on everybody's personal preference, and even our own personal preferences, you know what we're going to do? Never make decisions. Never. Because it is strangling. It is your, your hands, it's your collective hands around pastors' necks. It's truth. If, they can't, if we can't be joyous in our position, even joyous in death, that can happen. But when we're overwhelmed by things, and, and technology has only increased this, when we're overwhelmed by things that are expectations and personal preferences that one, the Bible never places on pastors and how they're to make decisions, man, that is almost unbearable. It's frustrating. Some may even call it sin. You know, it's something that this passage never tells. Pastors are never told to submit and obey their congregations. Never. But members are told to submit and obey their, their leaders but they're going to have to keep an account of this. We can't, we can't deny those things as well. 
How many of you guys have ever heard, do not put a pastor on a pedestal? Anybody heard that before? You need to remember that. That is good advice. And there's this like quip proverb something, the higher you put them up, the harder it is for they fall. It's something of that, that degree, right? Don't ever put your pastor on a pedestal. Man, that is such great advice. Okay? They're, they're never going to, uh, making it your pastor celebrity, worshiping your pastor is a terrible, terrible, he makes, they make terrible, terrible gods. They will greatly disappoint you. If I have not disappointed you here at Mission, stick around. I will. They make terrible, terrible gods, and, and we have been given this advice, and I'm trying to remind you this morning, please do not put us, do not put any pastor that you have ever had or will have ever put them on a, foot, uh, uh, a pedestal, but we should never put a pastor on a footstool either. And we're unwilling to talk about that. Where we try to make pastors and elders our servants something for our feet to rest on, something for our lives to rest on. Don't do that either. Pastors are not your servants. We're servant leaders, but we're not servants. You understand the nuance there, right? We're not butlers. We're not maids. We're not at your ever-becking call, okay? Not everything you have going on is an emergency, all right? If you've always had a terrible, mer- um, if you've always had a terrible wedding, all right, so, there are terrible weddings. If you've always had a terrible marriage, guess what does not exist in your vocabulary? Emergency marriage counseling. You know why? Because it has always been bad. And yet, man, from everything from little Johnny's got a hangnail to very serious issues, man, the the expectation is often uh, it's placed on the pastor pastors. And yet, we don't see that biblically speaking. All right? So you respect them. The second thing is, is then this idea of generosity, double honor, okay, multiple ways of encouragement and, and providing for and caring for your pastors, is you're to provide generous pay to them. Generous respect coupled with generous pay. To support this idea, what is Paul going to do? He's going to quote scripture. He's going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4, and we we get this image where it says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Well, that's this picture of, they would throw all the grain, it would still be, the wheat would still be on the stalks, and they would throw it all into this bin, and then they would put oxen in there, and, and they would let those ox just walk around the room right? And as they're walking around the room, it is threshing. It is, it's removing the, the, the kernels, I guess, of, I'm not a wheat farmer, uh, the, the kernels, the grains of wheat from the stalks just merely while they're walking around. So we put a few ox into this. They're walking. They're laboring. Who else gets to eat because of their work? 
everybody in the room. But what a good farmer does is, is they don't muzzle, put a, a, a mask over the mouth of that ox while they're walking around. But rather, while they're walking around, the assumption is occasionally, what's that ox going to do? It's going to eat some of the grain, right? And so this is what's, what the picture is that, that the Scripture is talking about in Deuteronomy and that Paul picks up on. He's like, you can't put a pastor into this bin to make sure that he is feeding everyone else and then placing something over his mouth and never letting him eat there, but rather having to go outside of the bin in order to get food and provision. And so the passage is saying that that should not be happening. Another thing that, that Paul is going to do, he's going to quote Jesus. He quotes Jesus. He says in that second part there, the laborer deserves his wages. The laborer deserves his wages. Paul will talk about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, when he says, no, Let no one who is taught the word share all good things... Let, excuse me, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So what's he saying there? Is that, man, this is why we say every time that we take up an offering here at Mission, that this, this offering that we are about to receive, that we would ask that if you are a member of this congregation or a long-time attender, that you should be giving to the local church. Why? Because you are the one who is eating from the grain pile. You're doing it right now. You're eating from this. If you're receiving from God's word, then you should simultaneously be giving to those who teach that word to you. And it should be generous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there's a whole chapter on this very concept. I'm going to read you not the whole thing because I don't have time. But it says this, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, again, are there people who take advantage of this? Yes. There are unfaithful men and women pastors who have definitely taken advantage of all of this. And there are other things that we're to do to them that we're going to get to. Okay? But who is who is Paul speaking about? Who's the scripture speaking about? He's saying that this is the way that we are not to, to treat those sorts of people, but we're to treat the faithful pastors. I mean, this is a huge scandal within American Christianity. It's, it's known as the prosperity gospel that is, you know, just a, you know, proclaimed and preached by the masses to people. I mean, you can go on YouTube right now and, and watch men in prosperity teaching churches that are calling people to bring all kinds of money and they leave it all over the altar and they dance all over it proclaiming to be multiplying and placing the preacher's anointing all over that money and telling people if they want to be blessed then to bring their money and put it at their feet man they're the the stores of you know, there's a pastor I know, he, he lives in a 16,000 square foot home. 
There's a whole Instagram account called Sneakers and Preachers, or Preachers and Sneakers now, where people will snap photos of famous preachers and will give you how much from the top down of how much the clothes they are wearing is worth. I mean, you got guys wearing $4,000 pairs of Nikes. I mean, I like sneakers. Gucci slip-ons. We hear just, there was a TV preacher not too long ago that came out asking his congregation to give him $65 million for a private jet. We've been trying to raise a million dollars for seven years. Not close. Right? Does anybody, I mean, you should be mad about this. There's a lady preacher. She has a gold toilet. This should, I mean, this is scandalous. This is wrong. This is sinful. This is wretched. And, and we hear so much about the scandal of, of overpaying and the prosperity gospel and these, these guys and, uh, you know, just living off of all of this stuff. And yet, can, can, can we understand what we don't hear about is the scandal of underpaying pastors, which is much greater in number than the scandal of overpaying them. One of the leading reasons why most guys in this position leave is because they cannot take care of their families. These are both, do we understand that these are both equally wrong? We have a temptation to either make them like rich or we have the mentality is our pastors have to be poor. And both of those extremes are wrong. They're, they're both wrong. Can I show you the seriousness of not being generous financially to your pastor? Pastors? If you got your Bible open, let's look up a few verses. In chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. The seriousness of the congregation not taking care of its pastors in generous financial provision causes that man in, in, re, in response to that to not be able to provide for his family. He's worse than an unbeliever. And that is serious. It is extremely serious that at the hands 
of the pastor and his wife, the pastors and his wife, is that sort of thing. And man, I could tell you some stories that would shock you. See, a pastor's focus should be in praying, studying, preaching, teaching, equipping, shepherding. There's enough to worry about and wrestle with inside of pastoral ministry, and yet his pay should not be one of them. Though the pastor's wife can work, just like any woman, this should be her choice. This should not be out of necessity. Because they're generously providing enough. We're not talking about extravagance. We're not talking about poverty. I know a pastor who's barely making it. And the church has hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. You know when I look ridiculous is when I tell my teacher, how, uh, when I tell my wife how she needs to be teaching special ed kids. Right? You know, I, I look even more ridiculous when I try to sell, tell Sandy how to sell some oils. Right? You know why? Because I'm not a special education teacher and I don't sell oils. Right? It's like me telling Grandpa, Larry, how to fish. The brother's a Kentucky master angler. What do I have to show him? Right? When I go with him, I'm like, which bait do you want me to use, Grandpa? All right? Why? Because he lives in that world. It's like me going to Mike and telling him how to put together his, his midget, his car that he's working on for like 50 years. Okay. One day we're all going to see this. It's going to be like the Holy Grail. It's going to glow. Ah, there it is. Right? It'd be, I, I know where gas goes. There's an oil stick somewhere in there. Right? That's a battery. Right? That's it. That's all I know. And yet for some reason inside the pastoral ministry, you guys are all the experts. And we're just supposed to do what you say. And I know this, and again, that's not, a, that's not a blanket statement. That's for the people out there. Because, man, I'm telling you, I've got buddies in the pastorate. They are just a face. They're just the person that is expected to preach. And then they're told, sit down, young whippersnapper. And older, specifically older gentlemen who probably have not read their Bibles all week long, but because they are earthly successful, get to make all these financial decisions and steer that ship wherever it goes, and the pastor is just supposed to sit there. Man, that's, you guys, that is, that is messed up. That is so messed up. It's so contrary to what the Scripture says. Man, I've known people that have gotten so mad at their pastor that they refuse to give to their church. And so they, they try to correct sin or what they believe to be sin in their pastors by doing what? 
sinning. Man, that, and we see here that it, it's generous specifically. Again, what does he say? Especially to those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's supposed to be generous toward those things. Labor means here to toil, to sweat, to work, to, to labor. This is this full body workout is in the preparation of, of speaking. And man, I know some preachers that literally have not looked over the passages all week long and they just merely say a prayer as they're walking up to the podium. They crack open that Bible and boom, they go. And they call that anointing. You know what I call that? A lot of other words. Because here's the thing. You know what you don't pay your pastors to do? Man, you don't pay us to do websites. I mean, have you looked at ours? You haven't, but we do have one. All right, because I, I know who does and who doesn't because I can keep, it tells me all that. Right? You don't pay us to do graphic design. You don't, make, you don't pay us to make sure that there's coffee. You don't pay us to do setup. Right? You don't pay us to do any of those things. You know what you pay pastors to do? To pray, to preach, to teach, to equip. And yet there are all these expectations that are placed on pastors that are not found in the scripture. Man, if y'all want to go bowling, let's go bowling. Right, let's go hang out. But it's not, it's not our responsibility to, to come up with those, those things. Hope you see that. I think the big question here is, what value do you place on the word being preached by a qualified, faithful preacher? What value do you put on that? And you can say things as I would hope I would say, well, we could never pay him enough. I hope that's your mentality. Well, we could never pay him enough. But what is a generous salary toward the one who, or ones who are preaching and teaching? Does, does the pastor have to take that funds? No, he doesn't. Paul doesn't take it toward the Corinthians. Other churches are giving to Paul so he can go and plant in Corinth and do the work of the ministry there in Corinth. You know why? Because they were immature, and he said he just didn't want to give them any other reason to come against him and his calling. And so he said, here's the deal, and that's why he writes chapter 9, I have every right to be funded by you, but I, I'm going to take some money from these other churches and I'm going to do some tent work right now in order for me to stay here and to pastor you. But that's not the way it should be. That is a, a small little clause. There are even some theologians that, that Paul would say, I may be being disobedient to Jesus by not taking your money but so that I don't put any more burden on you or cause any more bridge between you and I and the, and the preaching of the gospel, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But just so you know, if you have other pastors down the line, they have every right to eat some of the grain. Do they get all of it? No. No. No, they don't. But that's the way, another way in which you care, you care for the faithful pastors. If a church cannot give generously to that faithful pastor, you know what we should do? We should pay him as generously as possible. 
we should also free him up enough to where that if he needs to go find other work so that he can provide for his family, that he should be able to do that. All with the mindset as a congregation that we want to get healthier and move in that direction. When we planted mission, I was a lunch lady man for two years. It was terrible, right? You cannot get the smell of a cafeteria, school cafeteria out of your clothes, all right? I've, I've, I'm a professional at opening up cartons of milk because once you go to school, shouldn't that be something you know? Nope, all right? I've, I've thrown out the orange sawdust. Y'all remember that from the 80s? Like right there. And you're like, mm. You're spreading that sawdust out there, and it sweeps up. I mean, it's disgusting. Lunch lady, man, wow, it was ridiculous for me to think that Mission Church could, could support that. I did it for as long as I could. About killed me, about killed my family, trying to do both. Because every Saturday, when I finally got to start reading, studying, and preparing for Sunday, I had to leave my family on the one day I had off to go do that. I mean, I was pretty much an absent father. I was a terrible husband and a terrible dad. I just lovingly had a gracious wife and a gracious Lord. It was a time. It was a season. And so we do the very best. And what does generosity look like? Well, generosity in America looks very different than generosity in India, right? It looks very different. Going to Haiti right now to some of my pastor friends, them, and giving them what I get paid now, you know what that would do to them? Destroy them. We show up in America on an airplane to these countries, and automatically, you know what we think we need to do? We need to just need to give them all money. That is such an American mentality. It is not a biblical mentality, all right? So generosity in Niger looks different than generosity in, in, in Bowling Green you got to allow them to be able to provide for their family. And, and again, like I said, there are many ways of providing that. All right, number three. Now I'm going to speed up here on these last points. The third thing, third way that you care in providing double honor is generous, provide generous protection for them. Provide generous protection for them. So generous respect Generous pay, generous protection. What do we mean by this? Well, he goes on here to say this. Uh, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So again, we've got this dichotomy of the unfaithful pastor and the faithful pastor. How do you protect a faithful pastor? The way that you protect a faithful pastor is the understanding that the pastor is constantly under a microscope. Every word that we say can and will be used against us. Um, you know, they, people in the congregation, what's interesting about doing exactly what I'm doing here right now is that everyone has a different perspective on what I'm saying. So you can have two people sitting right next to each other and one of them will think, man, this is the greatest thing. My heart is just so um, stirred up. My affections for Jesus are just so growing. Man, I, I love my pastor. I know that he loves me, all this sort of stuff. And sitting right next to them could be a person going, this guy did not prepare. I cannot stand this. My heart, I hate Jesus. I love him less right now. Um, I don't like my pastor, right? We get hung up on, on, oh my goodness, I can't believe Pastor Eric, he said that Moses built the ark. And some of you guys don't even realize that that's a mistake. 
right? But we love to latch on. Oh, that's not perfectly theologically correct. Can I tell you something? You know what's infallible? That means it's perfect, right? Infallibility. We believe that the word of God is infallible. Genesis to Revelation, even those really weird verses, infallible, inspired word of God. Can I get an amen about something today? Amen, right? You know what is not infallible? A sermon or the preacher. He can make mistakes. But the word of God is perfect forever and ever and ever. You know what heaven, I believe, is going to involve? A lot of Bible study of God revealing to us himself through his revealed word, even more so, things that we didn't know. And all those stories that John talks about, about, man, there's more stuff that happened here, but I didn't put it in the letter. Don't you wish we had that? Right? And maybe Jesus is going to tell you about all, all of these different sorts of things, but, but inside of the, the idea of, of a pastor is, man, people get really upset at pastors. My pastor didn't, again, serve me the way I wanted to be served, or a decision that they make. I didn't like that. Or, so sin, Satan, and death begin to sprout resentment, negativity, gossip, and possibly anger toward the pastor or pastors. They, they begin to have backdoor conversations in what I like to call gathering troops. So you have an issue with the pastor. And so instead of going to the pastor or pastors and talking about that, then you go seek wisdom, godly counsel, from other people. You see what you've just done there? Whether it's right or wrong, you've just caused an issue of trust. You, you leave the pastor's reputation in question and the trust is broken. Man, I've, again, I, I won't go into this, but it's happened to me multiple, multiple times. Pastoring is not for the cowards. But by grace... We're to be courageous as, as they, they lead because they are under constant attack from inside and outside the church. We can't do much about the attacks from the outside, but Scripture speaks a lot into the attacks from the insides. Pastors are always prone for the attack. I mean, I want you to, I encourage you, take some time this week and read through the book of Exodus, just simply looking at it from a leadership and a fellowship perspective. There's much to learn there. How many times did those people, I mean, they didn't like, Moses' wife wasn't even the right color for them. All right? Brother was always getting picked on. Now, he made some terrible mistakes. Again, we're not covering those up today. But also, we, we, we look at is what, the, what does the book of Exodus call the members, the followers, the Israelites? Stiff-necked people. Right? can't be led. It's like a horse, right? And you, you're trying to, and he's like, no, I'm going this way. And you keep jerking on it and say, no, we need to go this way. And they refuse to do it. Another thing that gives me hope is, how bad did they talk about Jesus? Glutton only hung out with sinners and prostitutes. He was a wine-bibber. Right? Paul. Have you ever read through the letters of Paul just looking how the time that he has to take away from preaching the gospel, even in his letters, to prove to them once again, I promise you, I'm really about Jesus. I'm not a peddler, a pastoral peddler, trying to make money off of this. I really am an apostle. I know you know my history. I, was a, I came against Christians, 
But I promise you, I love Jesus. He has, he has forever changed my life. And so what do we do toward pastors who are faithful? Then when people come to us trying to gather troops, then we refuse to listen to it. We refuse to listen to it. I mean, I've been invited to some lunch meetings that I wish I had never been invited to. As, as people have sat across from me telling me the things that all the ways that their pastors have been screwing up. And I want you to know what's going through my mind, okay? Is there any truth to this? I don't know, but I haven't witnessed it. The second thing that's coming through my mind is looking at it from a pastor's perspective, once again, knowing that that pastor probably knows way more about what's taking place. And it would be wrong of him or them to share with you about everything that is taking place. And yet they have to make decisions about that. They're constantly being attacked, all right? The scripture's not saying that, again, that pastors are receiving special team treatment, but it is saying that, man, if it comes to a faithful pastor, then there's, there's got to be multiple eyewitness experiences of whatever is taking place inside of this man's life. We need to be very slow to be gossiping and speaking bad if that's at your dinner table or at a restaurant or a coffee shop about your pastors. A great example of this is to watch how David interacts with Saul. Saul is using the restroom. The Bible tells us David has the opportunity to kill him. And, and this brother was an evil man. He was a wayward man. And yet... David refrained from doing it. He could have took him out. And yet he refrained, he refused to throw spears back at him. And he ends up killing the man who did what? Who killed Saul? You've done what? And has the man put to capital punishment? The one who ended up killing David's biggest enemy. And he puts that man to capital punishment. He kills him. So the idea there is, again, slowness. We've got to be really cautious. We, be, we should be this way toward anyone. So don't admit a charge unless, again, there's people. So we provide generous protection from those inside and outside. The second way that we provide protection for our pastors is you help protect him from himself. And this is where it gets into this. And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so the rest may stand in fear. There come a point in time to where you have gone, and again, I think Matthew 18 here is, is in play as well. But there's a very serious thing that happens in keeping pastors faithful is the realization of their sin and that sin that it will be known by all. It even says you do this in front public. I think we go through the, the means of Matthew chapter 18 where it talks about confronting a brother or sister who has sinned against you. But in that, that there definitely comes a point specifically in regards to an elder who will not repent of their sin. I'm not just saying that you don't like them or they hurt your feelings. All right? You should give them the opportunity to reconcile. You should give them the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. 
You don't just stand up at a membership meeting and go, oh, I can't believe Pastor Eric did this, blah, 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 blah. That's wrong. That's jacked up. That's the last step. But let it be known and fearful of everyone, all of the elders and all of the people, of that, hey, brothers and sisters, if you continue to persist in this sin, then, then it is going to be made known to the masses, and you go from being a faithful pastor to an unfaithful pastor. You are now disqualified from pastoring and that is supposed to remind us as pastors and the congregation of the seriousness of our sin that's how we treat the unfaithful pastor the faithful pastor again respect pay protection the unfaithful pastor you get rid of him and I can't believe I'm telling you this this is the scariest part of the sermon for me, is that realization. Here's the deal. If I stop preaching the Bible, if we stop preaching the Bible here, if we get off from gospel centrality, if we start proclaiming all of these sorts of things that are not found in the Bible, you know what you need to do, because I'm sober-minded today, but I know lots of men in their younger years who were sober-minded, and when they became a pastor of old age, they were as liberal and as unbiblical and craziness. So being sober-minded today, let me tell you this. Leave this place. Do not stand here and justify, well, he means well. He's an evangelist. He, he don't preach the Bible. He never even talks about the Bible. But look at all these people. And that's okay. We still love him. No, you know what you do? You get rid of that man. And if they won't get rid of him, you know what you do? You take your ball and you go home. You go find a new place where they will preach the Bible. And I'm saying that of them. I'm saying that of me. I'm saying that of Justin and of Todd. Man, if we start going into the, the way of the culture and we start, I, I know a, a solid, a few years ago, biblical church that was planted in a community close to ours that right now has so veered from gospel centrality that they, one, have women elders, that they are pro-LGBTQRSLMNOP. I mean, whatever those things are, I mean, they're, they're completely supporting of all of this majorly liberal agenda that is not found in Scripture in this region started out biblical now far from biblical alright and that's scary because it doesn't happen overnight it, help, it happens by little nuances and little, little it's a slow moving train and you'll wake up one day being unbiblical I mean just into all kinds of what Timothy tells us weird myths get caught up in all these genealogies and not the scripture lastly I gotta quit you only got one long sermon from me coming up it's next Sunday right so I can get all my time in I can before we move to Forest Park be like a drive-by shooting on that day <laughs> I'm done take up an offering right. pay me <laughs> <laughs> lastly he switches back to Timothy and let me read the passage and then I'll be done 
verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels. So Paul's saying, hey, bro, what I'm about to say here and what I've just told you to do, it's really serious. Jesus and the angels are watching. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. And some of you are like, amen. And others of you like, can't believe he says that. And the preacher says, we have no idea why he takes a break there and puts that there. I have no idea, but I'm glad he does. Verse 24, did I say that? I apologize if I need to be, if I need to be rebuked. Just, just do it respectfully. Verse 24. The sins of some people are, are conspicuous. That means like, like you see a person coming and you're like, oh, they sin. <laughs> right? That's what that means. It's like, it's very evident. It doesn't take very long to, to be around them and they're just oozing all of their sin. Right? And so he keeps going on. Some sins are like that, that they just, you just kind of know. Going before them into judgment. But the sins of others appear later. We've seen that right. Somebody does, again, they do really well. It's the parable of the soils. They do really well. They're being faithful. And then, right? And it's not, it doesn't, it's not revealed until later. Anybody ever had an employee like this? First day employees, how are they? Woo! I'm going to change this company. Right? Then you fire them. Because they end up being terrible. Right? It comes out. It keeps going. So also good works are, are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So, so to conclude here, what, what does Paul tell Timothy? Hey, so when it comes time to pick new elders, when it comes time and, and, and men are saying, man, I, I, I aspire to be an elder, what Paul is telling him so that we don't lead to unfaithful elders and have all these problems is that you should be very slow in the process. Don't be quick with the laying on of hands. Be slow in the process. All right? Really get to know this man. See if they're not going to, like, you know, Jesus juke you and, and be all good at the first and then be like, ha, gotcha, right? But that they should meet the qualifications, that there be, should be a season you know, regrettably, my first pastoral job, you know what, how it happened? Hey, Baker, come to my office. I was working at a factory here in town. So my pastor said, come see him. So I, I went. I sat down. He goes, we want you to be our youth pastor. Okay. Is that it? And that was it. No one asked me how I treated my wife. Nobody asked me how much my stomach problems caused me and how much drinking I was, you know, taking to help it. <laughs> Nobody asked me the qualifications. No one asked me if I could teach. They didn't even try me out. Nobody asked me about my finances. Nobody asked me if I was sober-minded. They just knew I was charismatic and I could talk really well in front of people. Youth pastor. Sign me up. And that scares me to death. It scares me to death. So Paul is 
telling Timothy, hey, take your time, pump the brakes. If somebody's aspiring to be an elder, make sure it takes a really long time. When we asked Pastor Todd to be an elder, John, uh, Justin and I had already been having conversations. We've been watching this brother in our congregation. He was already acting like a pastor, though he had never been given the title. And so we're thinking down the line, because again, you think about, man, how's mission going to get to June 2nd? I'm thinking, how's mission going to get to June 2nd in 2330? All right? And so we started thinking about, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? Then we started having people in the congregation going, hey, man, if y'all are ever looking for another elder, Todd Crosby, that brother, he would make a great elder at this church. So what did we do? We went back to our little cave where we're usually like, <laughs> right? And we're rocking back and forth going, I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. Let's pretend like we do know what we're doing. <laughs> All right, so we, we go to our little back cave and, and, and we're like, man, there's some confirmation so then what do we do? We had a, a lunch conversation with Leanne and with Todd. And we said, politely, Todd, we're asked that you not speak. And we drilled her about questions about Todd Crosby. And it was confirmed, the things that we believed about him. And then it was um, 10 months, somewhere around there, a process of walking alongside of him and Leanne before we ever said to you as a congregation, we believe that this man meets the qualifications of an elder. But the key thing was is that, again, the time, the qualifications, the character, the relationship with his wife, it wasn't just merely we like this guy, and that's what Paul is also saying. Hey, don't just make the good old boys club here. Just because you like somebody doesn't mean that they should be a pastor. They've got to meet the qualifications. They've got to, and it takes time to figure that out. All right, last thing here. Jesus is the best pastor you will ever have. Ever. None of us here are Superman. None of us are Jesus None of us, I mean, we forget about, when we talk about Jesus, he's the kind of guy that could just appear into rooms, right? Like if you were way away from him, he could just walk on the water to get there, right? Even Jesus got tired. He had to step away. But, but I really want you to get that. We are a mere reflection, a mere shadow of the real one. And he is a true and better pastor. And you've got to get that. I've got to do that. So members, I encourage you again, make sure you understand that Jesus is your best pastors and pastors. May we realize our identity is never found in being a pastor. But it's found only in being his son. And that's way more important. It's way more important than being a pastor. All right, you guys have been great. Let's pray.